I do love. I was I was tracking the words where Raven started uh, wagging her tail. So IRS. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and free. And oh. Free. Yeah, IRS and free. Oh, do we have a Republican? <laughs> She's like, goddamn welfare. I mean, my 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 dog that I had for the longest time, she was she was a libertarian. I identified oh. that she was a libertarian. Oh, <laughs> she, she tore down the um the the Carrie Edwards poster that I had on my window oh, funny. during during that election. Mm-hmm. She multiple times, and then she ate it, and I was like. I know she doesn't like Bush, so yeah. she must be a libertarian. That's funny. Yeah. Co-Wrangler, Jacob Murdoch. Hello. And Jasmine Coca, the Director of Immigration Services at Catholic Charities. Good morning, Jasmine. Thank you for ha- uh, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Allison and Jacob. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, um, so we are very excited to have <clears throat> you. So if you want to start out and just tell us a little bit about what it is you do at Catholic Charities, um, and then also, you know, kind of how you got into that position. Okay. So, um... What I do at Catholic Charities is I administer the program. We have a really, you know, very small staff. We only have two employees in addition to myself, uh, legal assistant and case manager. But we represent people before the Immigration Court, the Department of Homeland Security, the Board of Immigration Appeals, and the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service if they need assistance in trying to either retain their status or obtain their status or try to immigrate other relatives to the United States. Where are you originally from, Jasmine? I am from Los Angeles, California. And I, <clears throat> the last city in which I lived was Culver City, California. I went to middle school and high school there. And, and when I was in college in 1994, my mother moved to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and been here ever since. All right. Excellent. <clears throat> yeah, we're always interested to hear how people end up in Las Vegas too, because mm-hmm. there's only a few of us that uh, that or a, f- a few few people, not us, because I'm not from here, but a few people that grew up here. We haven't had two in the room, but mm-hmm. uh, we know that that's not super common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, alrighty. So you went to Boyd School of Law, correct? Yes, I was in the charter class. So 2001, mm-hmm. graduated. And it was there, um, I had an excellent professor, Professor Raquel Aldana. I took her international law class the first semester of my last year, and then I took an immigration law class my second semester. And um, I took that class because I am married to someone who immigrated from El Salvador when he was seven years old. He came here during the height of the Civil War in El Salvador, which you know lasted for years, and his parents and all of his siblings... And um, I was helping, when I was in law school, I was helping my mother-in-law prepare for her citizenship exam. And so I realized, I thought, you know, she was very proud about that, and she was making steps to try to obtain permanent status. I mean, she had permanent status, but to become a United States citizen is a big deal. And so I was um, more than happy to help her to prepare, and I found it quite interesting. And so when we had the immigration law class, 
I jumped on that and I really enjoyed that class. And I, it really opened my eyes because I was probably like a lot of other people. I had misconceptions about immigrants. You know, you hear things or really maybe I felt like, okay, well, besides being married to one who is a U.S. citizen and, and considers himself to be a Salvadoran American or really more American than anything, um, you know, I, I probably was like, well, it's not really my issue but it became my issue. Mm-hmm. And so then I decided that I wanted to pursue something in that field and to help more immigrants or to help immigrants. I shouldn't say more immigrants. I wasn't helping any immigrants, right. <laughs> but I, to help immigrants. That's awesome. And so you've been <clears throat> working at Catholic Charities 15 years. How has, uh, how have immigration laws changed in that time? 16 years. 16 years. It was my first job after law school. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. And it's flown by quickly. So, I mean, immigration law, I always tell everyone, it's really technical, it's very complicated, it changes constantly, and you have to try to stay up on your knowledge of immigration law and what's going on. And, of course, right now, there's a lot going on. So these years have flown by quickly because it took me probably a good two years to really feel like I knew what I was doing. And even then, sometimes I'm like, well, do I always know what I'm doing? But I think so. Um And I feel like I'm quite knowledgeable in my field now, but definitely, um, I mean, there's a lot going on and so there's still a lot more people to help. And what's really important to me and to a lot of other organizations that assist with immigrants is trying to get the, the correct information out and to try to, uh, you know, educate people and tell them what they may be eligible for, what they're not eligible for, how they can help. Um, It's their issue too. And maybe, you know, for a lot of people, if they have their status or they were already born here, they're just like, oh, well, you know, but you still need to help those who are trying to find their way. So can you tell us a little bit about the um, type of cases that you see, like how someone um, is placed in removal proceedings before the immigration court? Yes. They can be placed in proceedings in various ways. A lot of the time, maybe if they get arrested by Metro or another law enforcement agency, then if they do not have status. Um, or including residents, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. But if if they don't have status, Metro does have the right to ask them what their immigration status is. And that's under, under the 287G program. So What's maybe two eighty. Elaborate a little bit about the program. Um, two eighty seven G is a federal program, and police departments around the country receive federal funds, uh, to enforce this program. And I guess there's certain degrees under which police departments may, you know, some want to just meet the minimum requirements for that. Some are more hardcore and, um. They do all sorts of enforcement. But if you do get arrested and then you're taken to a jail, so Clark County Detention Center or another jail, the police department has the right to ask you what your immigration status is, and then they have to refer you to the Immigration and Customs Enforcement mm-hmm. um, Agency, ICE, which is under the Department of Homeland Security. And then um, you may be placed in proceedings. Can I ask a question? So the people that um, are processed under 287G, like what type of crimes do they commit? Are we talking about heinous crimes? Because I've heard people, really wild stories, where people literally jaywalked and they were placed, uh, they were arrested and then they were channeled through ICE. Is this something that you see often? 
I have not seen it often. Um, I mean, it's been mainly, and to be honest with you, lately, I really haven't seen a lot. Maybe it's just I haven't had anyone come into my office or learned about that that's happening since. But under the Obama administration, um, 287G was enforced, and there were different uh, categories in which a person may be placed in proceedings that may have made them a priority. Mm -hmm. So offenses like driving while under the influence, um, domestic violence, um, other types of crimes may have been an issue. Jaywalking, maybe not, you know. um, But now, under our current administration, as they've said, everyone's an enforcement um, priority. So the whole point is, is that if you can't avoid getting into a situation where you may be arrested. Don't drive while under the influence. Don't fight with anyone. Don't steal anything from a store. Or try to put yourself in a situation where you're not accused of it. Not everybody commits a crime. But if you're accused of it and you get arrested, um, you know, then, I mean, that's something I always tell when I'm speaking to the community. I, I ask them to not do that kind of stuff. Call an Uber or get a friend to drive you home or walk home or just don't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about, Allison and I have talked about before, people with broken taillights or know that your lights are on and your car, um, maybe uh, you might get stopped because it's a traffic infraction. Maybe um, you may get, I mean, you shouldn't get arrested for that, but just trying to keep on the up and up, make sure you're not driving erratically. Limit, limit your interactions with Yes, yes. And then going back to what you were asking me earlier about lawful permanent residents being placed in, in status. Yes, I mean, if they have certain criminal offenses, they may be placed in proceedings and then they have to defend that status. Mm-hmm. The other thing is um, maybe if they've been out of the country for more than a year, you have to have permission to be out of the country for six months or more um, if you are a lawful permanent resident. Some some people overstay that uh, wherever they are, maybe for emergency uh, reasons. Or they just don't know, and so you run the risk of being placed in proceedings because you stayed out longer than you were supposed to. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about uh, sanctuary <clears throat> cities? This morning I was reading um, a note that the ACLU sent out that a sheriff of Fairfax, Virginia, announced her office was going to be terminating um, cooperating with ICE. Uh, they weren't going to cooperate anymore. So is Las Vegas a sanctuary city? I know that I've read some articles that toss that term around. I don't think Las Vegas is a sanctuary city. I mean, there's been discussions about that in the in the past. I mean, I'm not probably the best expert on sanctuary cities. I think there's an organization here that was trying to, you know, um, advocate for that and maybe provide certain, not services, but establish certain relationships. But I'm not certain. But we're not, we're not considered to be a sanctuary city, quote unquote. So, Jasmine, how does how how does someone find your office? So, say, is it is it if they get you know notice that they're going to be removed? Is it just general folks who are interested in pursuing permanent status or citizenship status? How do they find your office? So, I mean, we do have a website at Catholic Charities, um, and I can't remember if the dumb man. I'm sorry. We'll just type it into the <laughs> the engine, just because I guess I have to. I don't really. But um, so our, we have that our website. Fact checker says the website is www.catholiccharities.com. So we have that website. We're also on the legal providers 
a service list for the immigration court here in Las Vegas. You can also go to the EYR Executive Office for Immigration Review website and look up um, legal service providers, and that information will be there. A lot of people find us through immigration court because we're on that list. Uh, we're also referred by other agencies. I mean, we refer people to other legal provider agencies if there are certain services that we do not do or don't have time to do just because we want that person to receive assistance. So, I mean, a lot of people refer people to us, but um, our telephone number, too, is 702 area code 383-8387, and right. they can reach us that way. And um, right now, uh, the DREAMers are on everybody's mind, uh, TPS and DACA. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, um... I guess we're just, okay, so there's a lot of advocacy in the community about the DREAMers. I mean, temporary protective status has been around since before I started practicing law. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we, there's an, a coalition called the Nevada Immigration, or Nevada Immigrant Coalition, and it's comprised of Catholic Charities, um, ACLU, Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada, uh, plan, a lot of different organizations and private attorneys, congressionals are also a part of this coalition. And so whenever there are issues, we try to go out into the community and um, tell people about their rights. So we've had events in 2017 uh, regarding TPS mm -hmm. uh, at St. Anne Catholic Church. We had a forum and we were providing people with information. And then since then, uh, the administration has terminated TPS for Salvadorans. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then Nicaraguans, Hondurans, uh, well, sorry, strike that about, sorry, strike that. about Hondurans, I, I think their extinction is still in place. Um, I have to double check that, but Haitians. So we're just trying to let them know what their options may be. Mm -hmm. And of course the re-registration period for those countries is open. So they should really try to pursue reapplying and we'll probably have an event soon, uh, maybe a preparation workshop through the Nevada Immigrant Coalition to assist people at no charge. Because right. there may be some immigration relief for these people uh, through other means. Yes. So mm -hmm. for a temporary protective status for TPS, if the Ninth Circuit, which the Nevada is in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in that jurisdiction, there's a case that came down last year called Ramirez v. Brown. And so what this case reads is that if a person has been approved for TPS, then they, even if they did not enter the United States legally, okay, because usually you have to have entered lawfully or have some other mechanism to be able to apply for adjustment of status here in the United States and not have to leave the country. And if they have certain immediate relatives, they are eligible to apply for lawful permanent resident status. So that's really important. I mean, you have to have a child over 21 to be able to apply for you and be a U.S. citizen. And then if you have a spouse who's a U.S. citizen, they can apply for you. And then, I mean, you know, you need to seek legal counsel because there are other categories in which you may be able to apply for adjustment of status. But you should, they should seek um, the counsel of an organization such as mine or go to a private attorney. There are, there are a lot of good private attorneys in the community and people should get advice. They should not go to, you know someone who really is not authorized to give them that information. And I think that's a good point. And I know um, I've heard uh, not so much recently in the community, but before there were a lot of 
um, individuals who are claiming to help with immigration but weren't attorneys. So, so really someone needs to be seen an attorney who has a specialization in immigration. Is yes. That... An attorney or an accredited representative or something like that. Someone where you can verify their credentials if necessary. Um, you know, sometimes people listen to their family members or they listen to friends too. I mean, then they try right. to do things on their own. Really, they shouldn't do that. You know, they're, if I were not knowledgeable about what I know, I would not try to do my own immigration forms. Um, I mean, if you have a straightforward case, no crimes, no unlawful re, you know, entries or re-entries or whatever, maybe, but it just really, you should always just get the information and, and then maybe with that information, you can do things by yourself, but you need someone to tell you how to do it. Oh, and then just going back to the dreamers. Um, I mean, there is absolutely a lot of advocacy for that. We uh, have a lot of dreamers who are in the actually the Nevada Immigrant Coalition group, mm -hmm. and so I mean, you know, this issue is it it's close to home for a lot of people. And of course, you know, I've had excellent clients, people with great credentials who have benefited from DACA or have been here since they were babies. They were not brought here. Uh, well, they did not come here on their own, um, and I feel like there should be some relief available to them. But we do have to push for a comprehensive immigration program, and so we'll see what's going to come out soon. Are you hopeful that that will occur? I try to be optimistic. You know, I sometimes I feel like because mm, you know sometimes my clients they're very they're very pessimistic, mm -hmm. and. They're sad and they're worried about what's going to happen to their children, their homes, their education, all this stuff. And I need to be the one who, I mean, I do have to tell the truth if I feel like something is not, if a person is not eligible for something or something may not happen, it's my job to let them know that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm praying that something will come out of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many, and, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine. How many individuals in Southern Nevada do you think are affected by, you know, what, particularly what's going, what's going on. So TPS, DACA, um, do we have, do we know how many individuals in our community will be impacted or could be impacted by that? I apologize. I don't know okay. the, the specific statistics regarding, um, people who have DACA. Uh, I mean, 800,000 people have DACA in the United States. And I think, probably at least a thousand a day are losing their status nationally. Right. Wow. So, I mean, right now with that federal judges and, you know, injunction or the order, people can reapply mm -hmm. who are not eligible to reapply by September 5th. So they can do that. So I'm looking through my files to try to see who may be eligible. Um, and I'm sure everybody else is doing that and people should pay attention to the news. And I think they're on top of it with TPS. I believe there are, Maybe approximately 5,000 people in Nevada with TPS. Wow. It could be a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm not certain. But, um, you know, I, I went to the Salvadoran consulate the other day, and their reception area was packed. Mm -hmm. So people were there to reapply for TPS. And people are scared. People are scared. I mean... I know temporary protective status is supposed was supposed to be temporary, right? That's the argument that well, wasn't supposed to last forever, but it did survive various presidents over the years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to give um, President Trump the benefit of the doubt. I mean, 
he said he was going to end it. But, I mean, he wants a solution. He's leaving right. that up to Congress. And he's saying, come up with something more permanent, something we can work with. Yeah. And so, but, yes, I mean, again, people have bought homes. They pay taxes. I mean, you're talking about billions of dollars from DACA and TPS recipients who will lose that. We're going to lose that revenue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are not able to continue living their lives here the way that they have. Um, I was trying to remember how many billions specifically, but I mean, we've really benefited here in the state of Nevada. DACA recipients, TPS recipients have started businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, they can take care of their families. Maybe in a, before they had status, it was more difficult for them to do that. And if people don't want immigrants, well, one, okay, the immigrants themselves cannot access benefits. Right. Depends on your status. So that's a misconception. Yes, they cannot. Definitely. But maybe if they do need um, assistance with their family, then maybe they may need to ask for some assistance. And we don't want them. Most immigrants don't want to have to ask for that assistance. And for their U.S. US citizen children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of them are asking us questions on powers of attorney, um, you know, what should they do with their children? They're preparing then in case they are deported. Yes. Yeah. Wow. What a horrible way to live. No. I, I think it's just, it, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And it's scary for the for the children, I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know. So, but again, I'm hopeful. And we have to have peaceful ways of advocating for immigration, permanent immigration reform or relief. Um, but definitely people need to contact their congressionals mm-hmm. and from both sides, Republican and Democratic, so they can count those numbers, um, get in touch with whatever other organizations, you know, like ACLU or PLAN, um, La Familia Vota, these organizations that do a lot of, that's what they do is organizing. Right. Mm-hmm. And they need to see what they can they can do to help. Okay. If anybody wanted to help your program specifically, how could they reach out or what could they... How could they contribute? Well, right now, I mean, we are in the process of revising our volunteer mm-hmm. um, policy within immigration services. So we do hope to have volunteers in the future. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, funds yeah. are always welcome. So you're a fee-based program, right? You don't accept, uh, you don't uh, receive funding from the government. Your program specifically? No, we don't receive any funding from the federal government or. Um, we ha- yeah, it's very limited. It is fee-based, but our fees are very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So as compared to private attorneys, and no offense to private attorneys, but if you cannot afford a private attorney, maybe we can assist you. Mm-hmm. And this is how we're able to exist. So we don't profit over, we are a nonprofit. We're not supposed to profit, right. but this is how we're able to keep our doors open and to continue to help um, other people. Cool. And Jasmine, are there any other misconceptions that we can address with, um, immigrants and, you know, we've already talked about how depending on status, they can't access service, obviously public services, um, and public money. Is there anything else that, that you've heard that kind of keeps you up at night that you're like, you know what, that's not true. Um, so that we can let people know, Hey, be informed. Um, immigrants do pay their taxes. They have to file their federal income taxes, especially if they're trying to pursue a certain form of relief. Um, before immigration court or before USCIS. I mean, they know before I think it used to be 
maybe many years ago they thought they could not file their taxes and maybe they could not because you have to have certain documents to be able to obtain a social security number but you can get a tax id number and so that is through the irs the internal revenue service and a lot of them do file mm -hmm. so most of them file um so they are paying into taxes they pay into social security even if they can't access that uh, medicare tax i mean all that stuff so um, other misconceptions are, I mean, most of them are not criminals. I think the statistics are, it's no offense USA, but mm -hmm. most people who are in the system are U.S. citizen citizens. Uh, a, most of my clients and other immigrants that I've encountered, they're really hardworking. They want to work. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of services that we receive here, especially in the state of Nevada and hospitality industry, restaurant, you know, well, that's part of hospitality, but... Um, landscaping, construction, immigrants work in those fields, and we need them. We need that labor here, mm -hmm. and that's hard work. So, but without them, then things would not get done. And so, um, they do want to work. They don't want to rely on on help right. from anyone. So, Jasmine, well, you're not uh, working full time at Catholic Charities, and. Uh taking care of your family. I used to work with you, so I know how much you work. Um, how do you how, how do you take care of yourself, or how do you give back to the community? You attended Sarah Lawrence, and um, you used to be a dancer, correct? N well, no. Yes, I ish. studied dance, <laughs> but I was a figure skater, specifically an ice dancer, uh -huh. for 11 years before. And then when I went to college, I had to stop that. But... Off I didn't air, have time. I'll ask you about I, Tanya, if you've seen the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have not, but okay. Um, I remember all that. Um, so uh, I'm trying to get back into exercising, but that's been slow. Um, I guess just trying to spend time with the family and trying to have more time to my, you know, just to be quiet and to reflect and to send out good vibes. And that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. Life is busy. You know, we leave in the morning, come back. It's still dark, maybe, even though now the, the sun is staying out longer. But um, I don't know. Time flies quickly. So I'm trying to make efforts to relax more. But I am stepping up my advocacy efforts. So there's more stuff to do on the weekends mm -hmm. right. as well. But. And what other causes are you involved in? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, that is, okay, that's true. So, I'm on the steering committee for the Contemporary West Dance Theater, formerly known as the Las Vegas Contemporary Dance Theater, and Allison is still involved to a certain extent with that. She was on the steering committee. Um, they are a wonderful and exceptionally talented modern contemporary dance troupe, even though they do ballet um, as well. But, I mean, they're wonderful the founder bernard gaddis was a former dancer with the alvanili dance troupe i've been to some of their performances obviously and through uh volunteering on the steering committee and i love that bernard prior to each performance comes out and he talks about you know supporting the arts and everything and just he's trying to make the arts accessible democratic um sometimes particularly ballet 
um, has this image that it's stuffy and it's you know not accessible and he's just he's of the idea that you don't have to get dressed up to go to the theater just come out you know support local artists talk with other people in the community and it's a wonderful cause so they're beautiful uh, dance performances so I'd encourage everybody I'd encourage our listeners to go check it out yes um no, I mean, definitely you should check it out. Have an open mind when you go. Some people have already made up their minds that they're not dance people, but I think you need to just see at least one time if maybe that'll open your your mind and open your world. I mean, I love the arts, so because I'm busy, I don't always get to go out into the community and see things. I, I used to try to make it a point at least once a year to go to the Smith Center to see at least one performance or at UNLV. Um and hopefully, Contemporary West Dance Theater will have a performance at UNLV in the fall. So uh, we'll keep you posted about that. But I do love the creativity that goes into it. I really do appreciate the um, discipline and the training that went into dance. I think because I have my dance background and most, especially my skating, I can really appreciate it. But once you see what they do, I mean, it's just amazing. And so you can lose yourself and live vicariously through them if you want. But, I mean, you can, for 90 minutes or two hours, you can just enjoy, sit back, and let go of all the other things that are going on in your life It's if it's hectic and just watch them. It's and so beautiful. I've been moved to tears almost at yes. some of the performances. It's wow. very beautiful, mm-hmm. their costumes and that kind of thing. And you can go to their website and check out any new information that may be posted. And, of course, also they need. It's a nonprofit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you can contribute financially in any way to the dance company, um, we would appreciate that. But um, they are just – they're magnificent. And they also want to help bring not just – to perform, but to hopefully do things with the community and maybe involve them in, in, you know, dance, maybe at schools or things like that. So we're working on that right now. And my, my last question, very serious, we're going to get down to the most pressing issue of our day. Where's your favorite place to eat in Southern Nevada? Ooh, tough one. She's a foodie. Oh, okay. Uh, Not like you, really. I mean, I have my preferences. I don't know. Lately, I've been eating a lot of Wofat Chinese food. Okay. Uh huh. I like Wofat. It's been there for years. Where's that? It's on um, Desert Inn, East Desert Inn near Sand Hill. There's a Margathon oh, and yeah. a shopping center. Mm-hmm. And it's Chinese, but the family that owns it, they used to live in Hawaii. So it has some mm. in a Hawaiian influence. But, um, I started eating there again a lot lately, and their duck is excellent. So you should really try that. It's really good. I know where Jose's going after this. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And then be, because because you said your your husband is from El Salvador, does he have a preferred pupuseria? Um, you know what? We don't eat pupusas as often. Um, as you would think. I, mean, I think we eat more Mexican <laughs> yeah. than, right. than pupusas, but no, I mean, they're definitely, I think Esmeralda's Cafe, I've always liked Esmeralda's. Okay. I need to go there. 
Yeah. Hello, Daisy, if you're listening. She's the owner. <laughs> Hopefully she is. Yeah. She can sponsor us down the line. Oh, maybe. Yeah. At least yes. with free pupusas. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then there's Las Papusas. I mean, mm-hmm. they have different locations that are good. And then there's a Salvadoran, Salvadoreño restaurant, which is on Main, East Main, mm-hmm. near Washington, I believe. Oh, okay. That's very good, too. So That's not far really... from our den of descent, so we yeah. can check it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're really good. Cool, cool, cool. And the pasteles, they're, that was the first time I've ever had pasteles. It's a, like a chicken, I think, chicken stuffed in bread. And, sorry. And um, it's really good. So, Sounds yeah. amazing. Yay. <laughs> well, we'll have to check it out then. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, yeah, Jasmine, for coming on. Thank you for having um, me. This podcast, when I thought of uh, creating it, really I had people like you in mind. Um, I'm getting close to the microphone. I used to work with you, and truly the work that you do at Catholic Charities and within Immigration Services, your dedication to the cause, you've been at this your entire life, and it's really, uh, it's very moving. And it was wonderful to work with you, and it's wonderful to have you on the podcast, and hopefully you'll come back and we'll be able to discuss more positive immigration-related news. Well, thank you very much, and it was a pleasure working with you too, Allison. I mean, everyone in the room here, you're dedicated to trying to make the community better and make the world better, and that's really important, and we need to have outlets for people to be able to do that. So um, hopefully people who listen to this podcast will be inspired to help, maybe with immigration issues, maybe with dance troupe, but other issues that you guys bring to the community's attention. So that's really important. So thank you for your dedication as well. Thank you. of Southern Nevada. Anything you want to you want to end the show with today, uh, Allison? Any words of wisdom, quips? No. Western phrases. Giddy up. Giddy up. Yeah. All that's right. What I would say. Word Giddy up week. to the polls. Giddy up to the polls. Mm-hmm. Word. Yeah. Alrighty. I'm Allison Yanez. <laughs> <laughs> this is and, Jacob Murdoch. And today in the studio, we were accompanied by our research assistant Ashley Pacheco. Our producer Jose Sotelo. And absent but always present in our minds is our artistic uh, director, Berta Gutierrez. And don't forget our dog for the Den of Descent, Raven. Yay. All right, we'll see you around, y'all.